Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Astro Coffee Hangout. My name is Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space, and every week at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursdays, like today, we get together to have a live astronomy discussion. Now, whether we're talking about the future of space travel or the latest astronomy research, each week we bring you exciting live discussions to your computer or your mobile device. I mean, how much better does it get? So I want to welcome all of you watching live, and I also want to welcome those of you who are watching after the live event is over, because that's where the vast majority of people end up watching. And just because we're not live, though, feel free to leave comments below, and I'll try to respond as quickly as I can, and maybe even ask our guests to respond to your questions if I don't know the answer. So don't worry if you're not watching live. But if you are watching Hello live, to the people of the future. That's right. <laughs> and if you are watching live, then by all means, leave us some comments and questions in the live chat down there on, on both YouTube and the Discord servers, and I'll read them out as we go along. Now, these Hangouts are sponsored and endorsed by the American Astronomical Society, which whose support makes these things possible. So if you can, go to AAS.org and see what they're doing. There's an important organization here, and we want to thank them for their support. Now, today, we are going to talk about the latest efforts to locate an undiscovered super-Earth-sized planet that is believed to be lurking in our solar system, our outer solar system. If it exists, then, then astronomers think it would have an estimated mass of, between, of about 10 Earths. It'll have a diameter of two to four times that of the Earth and, it, and, and an elongated orbit lasting approximately 15,000 years. That would be its year. So far, efforts to find this planet have failed. Now, they're calling it Planet Nine, and astronomers are seriously trying to find this thing. And our guests today have written a paper outlining efforts to locate this planet using WISE and NEOWISE data. Now, they think that Planet Nine, if it exists, should be self-luminous enough and potentially bright enough in the near-infrared that the NEOWISE telescope data should be a pick it up. And today we'll talk about those efforts along with what WISE and NEOWISE is and why we think Planet Nine is there in the first place and whether or not it will have any adverse effects on the Earth anytime soon. And we'll also talk about some, citizen, some ways that you can get involved in the search for Planet Nine. So with that, that's my intro. Let me bring up my astronomical Brady Bunch. I love calling it that. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. In particular, let me introduce my co-host, Dr. Carol Christian from the Center for Emerging Media. She's in the lower right panel there. Hi, Carol. Do you want Hello. to talk a little bit about these Hangouts and what we're trying to accomplish here? Yeah, the Hangouts are an extension of what we do in our research organizations all the time is we have these informal chats, which we call science coffee or astronomy coffee. And we talk about the research that we're reading about. And often we're fortunate enough to have a visitor who's going to give a colloquium and we can talk to them informally about the research. And so a few years ago, we said, wow, what if we did that same kind of informal coffee chat, but with the people who were doing the research, but we did it online so that we could share it with uh, the public and anybody who's interested. So that's yeah. where it came from several years ago. We started doing it in the Hangout format and we provide links to the papers and other relevant information, visuals, what have you. Um, so that you can enjoy the research and ask your own questions. 
Yeah, and so in the spirit of bringing real science to you, uh, we hope that you will enjoy this hangout for us. Let me enjoy. Let me introduce our guests. Uh, my guest today in the upper left panel is Dr. Ben. I think it, make sure I got this right, Dr. Dr. Ben, yeah, there you are, Dr. Ben Bromley from the University of Utah. Hi, Ben, welcome. Uh, in the panel right next to him, Dr. Aaron, Dr. Aaron Meisner from the University of California at Berkeley, and in the panel right next to Carol is Dr. Scott uh, Kenyon uh, from the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory. Now, you guys wrote a paper. What is my? There we go. Now, you guys wrote a paper uh, for AstroPH, and I will tell you all now, it's in the link to the description box from AstroPH, so please feel free to download it and follow along on our discussion uh, uh, while we, as we go along. Um, and so let's start with an introduction into this whole Planet Nine concept, and maybe I'll do either Ben or Scott. Maybe you can give us an intro into... What makes us think? What what? Where did this come from? What do we think? Why do we think there's a planet out so far away in the outer solar system? And when did we start thinking about this? Who wants to do it, Ben or, or Scott? Go ahead. Scott, okay. <laughs> um, the idea of of Planet Nine is uh, certainly not a new one. I think the inspiration for hunting for, for unseen massive planets in the solar system is a, is a venerable history. And in fact, uh, uh, the efforts to make such a discovery led us to uh, a Neptune. Uh, since, since the Neptune was uh, uh, brought into our solar system family of planets in the, in the mid-19th century, um, we've been looking for, for more company. Uh, Pluto was a discovery along the way. And now we're in a position where there's evidence based on the motion of objects we see in the solar system, um, in, the, in the most remote parts of our solar system, that a large uh, uh, super Earth-sized planet is lurking out there. And this, I'm glad you brought up Neptune because this is a this is a precedent that has been set by how we find planets in the past. We knew Pluto was there. I mean, Neptune was there before we ever observed it through a telescope, and we knew it was there because we could see the effects of this unseen planet on things that we could see. Now, as I understand it, this idea of Planet Nine started in 2015, I think, with a published paper in Nature by some guys, and then it was picked up with by Constantine Batigan and Mike Brown later on, uh, who who actually said, well, wait a minute, there's some orbits of these things called trans-Newtonian objects that are acting really weird, and we the only and they, there's a lot of things that could be making them go that way, but but one really compelling way is that there could be a planet there. And so, first of all, who uh, 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 can you tell us what a trans-Newtonian object is? First of all, well, I'll, I'll take that one. Okay. Um, so they're trans-Neptunian objects. Oh, what did I say? Trans. Trans-Newtonian. Oh, Newtonian. <laughs> So, so Neptunian, not Newtonian. Not Newtonian. <laughs> These are not Einsteinian or relativistic planets. Um, Oops. Okay. Are, hey, it started uh, with an N. Okay. So, yeah. so Newtonian. Newtonian. Um, I talk about Newtonian telescopes. There are small objects orbiting the sun out beyond the orbit of Neptune. Thank you. Um, Neptune, are, not Newton. <laughs> yes. So, so some of them. Um, are in what we call the Kuiper Belt, which is you know, a bunch of objects orbiting just beyond the, uh, the orbit of Neptune. And you can sort of think of that like the asteroid belt uh, between the orbits of uh, Mars and Jupiter. So just outside of Neptune is this you know, icy asteroid belt called the Kuiper Belt. 
And then there are objects that are orbiting even farther away. Um, and if you know, their orbits should be sort of randomly oriented around the sun. I mean, they're ellipses. And so you could think of the sun with a bunch of elliptical um, tracks around it. And Jupiter would randomize those tracks in a, you know, on the order of 10 million years to 100 million years. And these orbits are not randomly distributed. And so either we've been unlucky and have seen, um, you know, we're, we've just got seen an unlikely arrangement of the orbits, or there's some other planet out there that's organizing the orbits in this non-random pattern. Okay, and... Yeah, that and so while there may be other explanations for this, it's important to note that when when you see something like this, you want to uh, explore all possibilities. And looking for the actual planet, I mean, something a couple of times bigger than the Earth, a super Earth, as it, you know, is what they're calling it, that should be visible. And I think that's the premise of your paper, is that you guys are saying, you know, this thing ought to be bright enough if it's there in the wavelengths that the spacecraft called WISE and now it's called NEOWISE looks at, which is in the order, I think, was it three to five microns? Am I right? Is that, or is it one to three microns? I forget the, the wavelength range. But the WISE spacecraft, which stands for Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, has been turned into the NEOWISE, which is Near Earth Object, Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer. And uh, you're using it now to not only find near-Earth objects like asteroids and stuff, but you're trying using it to try and actually directly image Planet Nine, correct? Yeah, I can field this question. Okay, go ahead. So, as you said, it's about three to four microns is where it's thought by some of the very leading experts in exoplanetary atmospheres, uh, from UC Santa Cruz especially, recently put out a paper saying that under certain circumstances, the atmospheric characteristics of this object, because it's so far away and so cold, could be such that it emits a lot of light exactly right in this three to four micron called W1 channel of the WISE satellite. And so based on this modeling of the atmospheres, we've gone and actually tried to do this search through this uh, really vast and really amazing data set that comes from WISE and EOWISE. Okay, and before I get to the details of what you guys are doing with WISE, I just want to point out that this mission was designed by NASA as the, the, the Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer to look at the entire sky and the infrared and it did its mission. It actually did that. And then NASA in 2011 turned it off because it was done, right? And so we did it. It's good. Thank you, Wise, very much. We got our data and we turned it off. And you don't ever hear about this kind of thing where NASA actually decommissioned something. But then astronomers came back. And this is what this reminds me of the Kepler K2 thing where we revived K2 or Kepler as K2. Uh, astronomers got to thinking and said, wait a minute, this is a wasted resource. And so. And I think a couple of years later, 2013 or so, you guys turned it back on, right? And decided this is ideally suited for looking for near-Earth objects. And if I'm being honest, I think this is one of the most important and underrated things NASA is doing. What more important thing is there than looking for things that could possibly hit the Earth? And, uh, I mean, SETI is great. SETI is a great idea. We should be definitely listening for terrestrial signals. But I want somebody looking for little big chunks of rock that are heading our way, too. <laughs> so um, do you want me to show some of these videos that you sent uh, about what WISE does? Would that help us get set the groundwork for some of your research? Yeah, that would be great if okay. you could uh, pull those up let me, real quick. Let me get rid of all this other extraneous stuff. All right, so here is a video on the WISE spacecraft itself. You want to talk about it, Aaron? 
Yeah, sure. So this is a cartoon picture of what WISE, the satellite, actually looks like. It's about two meters by two meters by three meters. So it's not all that huge uh, in terms of what you might think of being sent up into space. And it's in this low Earth orbit that you can see here. And basically what it's doing is looking out directly away from the center of the Earth out into outer space. And it's riding always along the line that separates day and night. And so what that means when it's looking outward like that is it's always looking directly in the direction of or opposite to the Earth's orbit. And you can see that here. And so as the Earth goes around the sun over time, by looking out in the scan strategy, it repeatedly images the entire sky. And that's what you're seeing here. It's gradually building up coverage in these great circles. And then it builds up a full sky map once every six months. And now it's been running with a combination of WISE and now NEOWISE for five years. It's actually had 10 full sky passes across the entire sky, which is a really amazing and vast time domain data set. And this was the initial mapping was just to get a, a, a big picture idea of the infrared sky. But because it's infrared, then this telescope can is really good to use for things that might glow in the infrared, like chunks of rock in space, right? And do most asteroids, what is the wavelength range, first of all, of, of NEOWISE? Yeah, so the original WISE mission had four infrared channels. It had about three microns, four microns, 12 microns, and 22 microns. And then now as NEOWISE, it only has the bluest two, so the shortest two wavelengths. So it only has three to five microns with two different channels. And that alone turns out to be pretty good for seeing the thermal emission from near-Earth asteroids and other asteroids, not to mention stars and galaxies, uh, over a billion of them. Planet Nine, you use this technology, you're using these kinds of data sets uh, to, find, uh, to find Planet Nine. How's it going? <laughs> I can take that one. Uh, so as I was saying a little bit before, WISE, because it's seeing the full sky and it's seeing it many times and it has space-based, very high-quality images, it's useful for a lot of different things. And so a lot of the work that I've been doing recently in my research has been trying to repurpose all of this WISE data that's being used mainly now for asteroid hunting and asteroid characterization to use it for things that are further away. And so one example of that is Planet Nine, which is way, way further out in the outer solar system than these near-Earth objects or other main belt asteroids. And so this is a kind of a big data analysis challenge because WISE now, just in the two bluest bands from three to five microns, has already captured about 25 million exposures in each band each of which is a million pixels. So this is about a 50 trillion pixel data set. And we're doing a lot of com computational work to reprocess that and then in turn, turn that into constraints on things like Planet Nine or use it for other purposes like stars and galaxies elsewhere in the universe. Okay, so um, Ben and Scott, what, what are your roles in this campaign uh, to get to get us to find uh, uh, Planet Nine, do you, are you guys? How are you guys involved in the the Wise uh, Neo Wise search? Uh, and we'll start with. Oh, I'm sorry. I should probably just pick somebody. How, I'll start with uh, Ben. Okay. Yeah, had a chance thanks, to talk yeah, Scott and I have been uh, working on uh, planet formation issues uh, for uh, quite some time now, and uh, we've run simulations for how uh, planets in the in the Part of the solar system in which we live um, the terrestrial planets and the gas giants and so we've had a long-standing interest in in what's out there in in our um our part of the universe um we 
have uh, run simulations even seven, eight years ago, I think, I think it was, where we saw that super Earths got scattered out into the very remote regions of our own solar system. So that uh, when the idea that Planet Nine might exist in our own um, actual solar system, it was uh, really, really fascinating for us. Um, Aaron showed the um, the simulation, or he injected it, uh, a fake object into the real data. And I just wanted to uh, chime in a, a story that our early tests of trying to discover Planet Nine in the WISE data involved um, Aaron putting in, uh, mixing in with the real data, uh, you know, candidates that weren't real, that he'd basically chosen. And it was um, uh, a job of the code that we'd been building to go in and, and extract Planet Nine candidates. And I remember uh, the very first one um, that I found, there was a, a, a loud yell from, from Utah when, when it was actually discovered the code was working and that we're able to, to pull out um, uh, uh, candidates based on the, the test that we ran. Yeah, exactly. I would inject fake objects into the real data stream that had exactly the right orbits for Planet Nine. So this was a few detections mixed in with several million. And I would send it to Ben, but I wouldn't tell him which was which. <laughs> and so we would only publish the paper when we fully believed our code. And that meant we had to get this right every single time. And so there was a lot of back and forth about this. Okay. Right. It was really fun, I have to tell you. Okay, it was. Hide and seek. Okay, so um, apologies for the sound issues that I had when I was sharing my screen. I won't do that again. Uh, apparently, it was it was um, uh, apparently it uh, it caused some sound issues. So I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm listening. I just wanted to point out that this is a common technique in a lot of different parts of astronomy. Is when you're doing analysis of data, you want to put in your algorithm, your finding algorithm, or your measuring algorithm, something that you know about so that you confidently get that back. And then when you find unknown new things, uh, you know what you're up against and you know what your errors are. So it, 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 it is important in, in this kind of analysis and also in machine learning, which leads to, you know, citizen science and machine learning and how do we uh, visually examine this data and that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a common technique. And it is really fun, especially when one of your colleagues is putting stuff in and you're trying to find it. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. Thanks guys for helping me, 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 me uh, locate that uh, audio problem. I won't be sharing screen anymore for the rest of this, uh, for the rest of this hangout. Um, good. So we are, we are busy. I should take a minute and remind everybody you're watching the Astro Coffee Hangout from the American Astronomical Society. Uh, these hangouts we have every Thursday. We try to nominally where we talk about, we try to bring the latest in, uh, in astronomy uh, uh, discoveries to you. And today we're talking in particular about Planet Nine and um, finding the, the current search for it. And astronomers believe that this strong, that this uh, planet is out there by because they are looking at the strange behavior of these trans-Neptunian objects uh, at that their orbits are such that they seem to be getting perturbed uh, by a planet that is what we would call a super-Earth. It's several times larger than Earth, more massive, and it would have a year, if it existed, of uh, 18,000 years. So it's pretty far out there. And they're trying to find it right now with the WISE and the NEOWISE data set. This is an infrared data set that looks at things that glow in heat wavelengths. And so um, since this planet is presumably rocky,
Milwaukee, and it is so large, they think that it would show up on the NeoWise uh, data set. Now, there is a way, Aaron, if I'm not mistaken, and I can't share my screen now because it'll blow things up, but there is a... Um, there is a um, citizen science initiative that you have going on, correct? You want to talk a yeah. little bit about that for how people can help and get involved? Yeah, definitely. I'd be happy to talk about that. So, again, this WISE data is super versatile. It can be used for many things, and there's so much of it that we could really use all the help we can possibly get uh, getting eyes on it and making sure we've looked at every last bit of it to find things like Planet Nine or other things that might move or change on the sky. So in the spirit, along with several other people who are co-collaborators who run on this telecon, in this case, we launched this citizen science project called backyardworlds.org, which is the URL you can go to and anyone can participate. We definitely would love to have the people who are joining in on this hangout uh, become some of our users and potentially our super users because we, we think you're exactly the right type of folks who could really help us unleash some new discoveries out of this wise data set. And so anyway, the, the basic idea behind backyard worlds is that when astronomers do motion searches for moving objects like planet nine or very nearby stars and brown dwarfs. Okay. Someone has shared a screen now. Is that, is that Carol? I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure. Okay, good. That would, so that, this is our landing you, page for the project. Thanks a lot for bringing that up. Um, right. So even when professional astronomers doing state of the art motion searches for things like planet nine or very nearby brown dwarfs or very nearby stars do these type of research projects, even today, it involves a huge amount of very tedious labor in visually inspecting, we call it. So looking at lots of images and looking at lots of candidates to make sure you get the absolute best ones out of your giant data set to then go and look at with your telescopes. And so we said, you know, why are professional astronomers running all this code and spending all their time looking at millions of these images by themselves? Why not just start by putting all the images on the internet and crowdsource the whole thing, get tens of thousands of people looking at all the data and see what we find. And so that's what we've been doing. And this is really targeted towards finding especially very cool brown dwarfs, which WISE is kind of uniquely suited to find, and also potentially planet nine or something like uh, a planet X, which would be something like Jupiter at many tens of thousands of times further distance from the sun than the earth. So WISE is uniquely sensitive to these things and you would see them all just by looking at these sort of image blinks. So if you hit the play button down towards the bottom left corner, the triangle, yeah. This is sort of a time series of some of the wise processings that I've done. Oh, uh, okay. Over the course of about four years, but split into six different epics, or sorry, I think it's four different epics actually. And so if you see something that looks very red and is moving along in a line, that would be a candidate for a very cold brown dwarf or potentially even a free-floating planetary mass object in the neighborhood of the sun. And so what you can do in here is go and you can click to mark things that you think are what we call objects of interest, which might be brown dwarfs or a planet in the outer solar system even. And then there's, there's actually, I'll give a little bit of a, a pro tip for using this website, which is there's something called the Think You've Got One forum, which is discussed in our FAQ which is that if you found something that you're really highly confident in, then you can fill out this Google form basically where you go and look up all of its uh, brightnesses in, for example, WISE and other surveys in the infrared like 2MASS. And then you can submit that and you can put your name on it so that we know for sure you're the discoverer. 
And there's also the option to put your email address on there. And that's really critical because if you want to, what that does is that buys you access into a special, what we call super user forum that we maintain, which is something like our couple hundred really most talented, really most dedicated volunteers. And a lot of our discoveries come out of there. And it's a lot of fun to participate in that if you're someone who's really interested in fully digging into the data. And for example, people from that group have gone on to become co-authors on our papers. They've been co-eyes, so co-investigators on our telescope proposals, our space telescope proposals. Uh, and I think before long, some of them are probably going to write their own papers uh, themselves as part of this Backyard Rules effort. So I'd really like to see uh, some of the people from from the audience here get involved because I think that would be exactly the right uh, right match for us. Backyardworlds.org, right? Yep. Okay, so yeah, go there, folks, and check it out. Um, I just want to say real quick, I figured out the sound issue. I had the audio turned on on the uh, screen share, but I have it turned off now. But I'm not going. I'm still not going to share my screen. So, um, okay, so uh, yeah, this is a way for you to get involved, and I can't emphasize, folks, the importance <laughs> of how we find planets in our solar system. This is an important topic now more than ever because there's a lot of confusion about well how how do we know these planets are there and and you know what if they're what if they're coming right at us how will we be able to find these things? We are looking right now using all variety of telescopes but the, one of the most important one is Neowise to try and find um, to try and find uh, objects that might actually be hitting the Earth. And that's done in the infrared with this telescope. Now, guys, uh, Carol, could you stop uh, uh, sharing your screen? There we go. That gives everybody back up again. Yeah. And um, what do you guys... So let's say for a minute that Planet 9 is out there, that we find it. It's in an orbit, as we said. It's in ten, you know 10,000 years or so orbit. Really, really big orbit. What effect would that have this is a super earth it would be somewhere larger two to three times larger than the earth what effect would that have on the inner solar system and in particular us perhaps scott could take this one sure well planet you know if there's a planet nine um, out there it's probably about 600 times farther away maybe 800 times farther away from the sun than the earth is so as you said it, you know, it orbits the sun every 10,000 or maybe 20,000 years. And so, and it's only, you know, maybe five, 10 or so times the mass of it. So it doesn't have much influence on us, um, if any, really, because the biggest planet in the solar system, Jupiter, has the most influence on the orbit of the Earth. And then as you go farther out, Saturn has a little bit less and, and the other asteroids. So it doesn't have much impact, you know, on the orbit of the Earth. But it tells us what our neighborhood was like and more, you know, from the point of view of understanding how the earth formed, it tells us that there was stuff far out in the outer part of the solar system, enough stuff to make a plan. And that, um, you know, tells us what the initial conditions were like in the solar system four and a half billion years ago. Is the planet more or less in the same plane as all the other planets or is it in a, a strange orbital orientation? If it exists, if it exists, it probably is more or less in the same orbital plane. Um, the idea of the formation of the planetary system is that when the sun formed, it was surrounded by a gigantic disk, circumstellar disk, 
which extended from inside the orbit of Mercury out to thousands of astronomical units or Earth-Sun distances, you know, in the outer part of the what we now call the solar system. And that disk was sort of a flattened, you can think of a CD or a DVD surrounding a P um, to visualize that. And that disk condensed, you know, agglomerated uh, into um, the planetary system that we have. And so, you know, by figuring out where the planets are, um, the nearby ones and the, the distant ones, we figure out what that disk was like. Yeah, so that is kind of strange, though. We have all of these planets, roughly rocky, roughly the size of the Earth, hanging out inside the orbit of Jupiter. And then we have the gas giants, and then Neptune and, and uh, Uranus on, and on. And then we've got this other one that's out here in the middle of nowhere, way out there. Uh, that is that is rather unusual. But we're going to find out, I think, from other planetary systems that we learned about from the exoplanet searches that we're doing, that maybe this is common or maybe it's not. But it, it is an interesting idea. So um, let's see, Jaws Incarnate, that was the answer to your question. Do we have any idea of its orbit angle? It's roughly in the same plane as the other if it exists that it it, uh, it 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 would be in roughly the same plane as all the other planets and again we can say so much about this planet without having seen it yet because we are looking at things we can see and inferring from those observations what this planet must be like and i just well, have to ask i, I have a, a okay sorry ahead, Tara. i have a question or a comment is that when we now that we've got all these exoplanetary systems many of them speculation has been that many of the planets have migrated in. So it would be interesting. And there is, it, it, it is true that people who study uh, the gas planets in our uh, solar system think that they've migrated some, right? And so if there is this thing out there, it would be interesting to know, like, why did it not migrate in? Yes, that would be a good. That would be a good. I question. mean, isn't that true? That in many systems, the big, the big. I mean, some of these hot Jupiters supposedly formed further out, right? And then they migrate in. Yeah, there's this idea that you know, the when a planet formed like Jupiter forms, it's forming within this disk, and the disk generates you know a torque on the planet, and that torque causes it to move either in or out. So one of the ideas for this planet nine is that it formed farther in and migrated out. Oh. Um, you know, another idea is that it formed, again, farther in, but was scattered out. Ah. So there was a gravitational interaction between, say, Planet Nine and maybe Jupiter, and that scattered it out. That got ejected. And the last idea is that it formed out there. Um, yeah. So we have all the possibilities, and if we ever discover it and figure out what it's like, we can try to then, you know, choose one of these or maybe reject all of them and choose a fourth one yeah yeah so uh um I, I, things were scrolling past. oh peter <laughs> go ahead carol did you want to say something else captured yes That's so peter tripp is was you just answered his comment about is he <laughs> saying that it formed in situ uh, I would have thought it would have been kicked up into that orbit at some point in the past. So that's just one of the scenarios is that you were saying it could have been uh, formed out there. Um, so, But we don't know yet. Uh, we have to find it first. Um, so Philip W. is asking a question I was going to ask next. Uh, he's asking, um, if it doesn't exist, <laughs> then what else could it be? What else could account for what we're seeing with these trans, everybody's calling it Newtonian objects. <laughs> trans Neptunian objects. 
What this else could it be? Definitely a question for uh, Scott or Ben because I know they've done some work going back before I was even involved on exactly this type of thing. So. Go ahead, Ben. Okay. The um, the absence of of Planet Nine uh, would in and of itself be extremely interesting because we've got to explain. Uh, the the patterns that we see in the orbits of the of the most uh, uh, distant objects. There are um, other possibilities in a planet nine. Um, the ones I recall right now involve a, a groupings of of other other uh, uh, trans-Neptunian objects. Um, or, <laughs> I've got know, everybody doing it now. <laughs> They're thinking ne oh, Newtonian. No, no, no. <laughs> um, but the the configuration that we see now is is really compelling um, in in terms of the Planet Nine hypothesis. Uh, but you, if, in absence of of any Planet Nine, we we will have some work to do. Hmm. All right. And, and one other uh, aspect of of this is that if we don't find it, is one you know contention of of some people who don't believe in that there's a Planet Nine out there based on these orbits is that. It's based on how we observe, or what astronomers call a selection effect. So when we observe the sky to look for these trans-Neptunian objects, we're looking for moving objects on the sky, and we use our ground-based telescopes to find them. And it, it could be that we've just been unlucky in how we've searched, and that we haven't searched the sky in the right way to find the random set of objects that we need would expect without a planet. Well, yeah, because this thing isn't moving very much, is it? I mean, if it's got an orbit a year that lasts 15,000 years, and we've been looking for what, since 2015 or so? Um, it hasn't gone very far, so we're not seeing a lot of motion other than parallax, as, as Aaron pointed out earlier, we might see a parallax thing. But um, motion isn't really a big thing that we're going to see. So the observation effect, the bias you're talking about, uh, would, would be maybe the way we're observing is more conducive to finding faster moving things than something as slow as Planet Nine. Is that right? Well, there's that. And that, you know, we can't look in parts of the sky very well because, um, you know, when we look at the sky, right, we have the, the band of the Milky Way, um, so on a summer night, right, in the Northern Hemisphere anyway, you can see the Milky Way going through Cygnus. And it's hard to look for moving objects there because the star density is so high. And so the, the planets can just be hidden, you know, in the Milky Way. Okay. Um, and Larry Keese wants you guys to know that, he goes, I would like to let them know that I joined Zooniverse last year and Planet Nine classifications have been going on since then. Larry is a very active uh, watcher of these Hangouts, so I wanted to give him a shout out because he's he's been really involved in the Zooniverse uh, project. So way to go, Larry. Thanks for doing that. Um, what about Gaia? Gaia's just released its... Um, Big data release. I'm getting some questions from Peter, Q, uh, not from Peter, uh, Dark Time, and uh, there was another one on the live chat in YouTube about the Gaia data. Gaia is this satellite that is um, it, mapping more accurately than it's ever been done using parallax uh, uh, measurements and, and other things to get the positions of more than like a billion stars of our in our galaxy positioned accurately so it's looking at large swaths of the sky and it's measuring the positions of those stars very accurately they just had a new data release um last month and uh what about gaia data would, would could that be helpful to you guys in finding planet nine 
I can start by saying a few words about that and maybe Scott and Ben might have a little bit more to say. So Gaia is looking in visible light, whereas Wise and NeoWise are looking in the infrared. And it turns out by the standards of visible light surveys and telescopes that Gaia doesn't go to very faint magnitudes. It doesn't go very deep relative to, for example, other things like the Dark Energy Survey or bigger telescopes on the ground. So in terms of directly imaging Planet Nine or something else way far out in the outer solar system, I don't think Gaia has much of a chance at that. I think it is possible that with Gaia's very precise positions for all the different inner solar system things like asteroids, there might be some sort of signals you could tease out about the dynamics of the solar system and potentially even something far out in the solar system. Although I haven't personally explored that. I don't know if uh, Scott or Ben has thought about that or heard anything about that. Have you guys? Gaia data? Not really. No, not really? Okay. All right. But it is a good data set. It, there's a lot to be learned from all of these missions and surveys that are looking at large areas of the sky at one time. You mentioned Dark Energy Survey. They're looking at 5,000 square degrees over five years to try and characterize dark energy. But <laughs> they're also able to see things moving across the sky. So they can help uh, They can help in, in other ways in for which they weren't necessarily intended. So that's a side benefit. Achilles308 is asking, did your search in the Neowise or Wise data find any dwarf planets out in the Kuiper Belt? Dwarf planets are basically Plutos, right? Yeah, I can answer that. So it's a little bit tough, actually, for WISE because it's such a small telescope. If how, something how big is, is way it? out, it's 0.4 meters diameter. Okay. okay. So pretty small. Um, but anyway, since it's so small and it's looking in the infrared, you would really need something to be a major giant planet if it's beyond, in this range, beyond Neptune that Planet 9 would be in in order to see it. Uh, so, for example, you you just wouldn't see it if it was something even like Mars or another dwarf planet that's just reflected light, that's just too faint for WISE to see. So you really need all or nothing kind of on this search in terms of the solar system aspect of it, which is that you need a full-on planet out there in order for it to be bright enough in the infrared. Uh, we did discover uh, through our search and also through Backyard Worlds many other moving objects that are, for example, brown dwarfs in the solar neighborhood. So using the same WISE data processing that we started with in our Planet 9 search, uh, we've actually enabled now the discovery of almost 600 very cold nearby brown dwarfs through this Backyard Worlds project, for example. And there's a lot of work ongoing to get full, for example, spectroscopic follow-up and more information about these objects. Because we're holding out hope that some of them may be among the nearest neighbors of the sun ever found. Potentially, we could even find one uh, closer than Proxima Centauri, which would be, you know, wow. a great goal to strive for. Wow. Okay, um, uh, let's see. I'm going back through the chat where you guys were talking about the sound stuff. I'm, I couldn't see, by the way, the chat because I was sharing my screen. So I was busy sharing my screen while you guys were hearing this echo going nuts, and I can't see your chat. So we're one guy operation, folks. I'm doing the. We're, we're, hopefully, one day there will be a team of people presenting these hangouts to you. That's our goal. Uh, support deep astronomy, support these hangouts, and you may, we'll see more. Uh, Philip W., would this planet, if it had such a large orbit, get to the point where planetary telescopes could visually see it? Can we see this thing? Do you think if it exists and it gets found and we know its position and orbit, do you think ground-based telescopes will be able to see it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think they're probably the best hope at this point, other than 
what we're doing with WISE, uh, traditionally trans-Neptunian object searches are done with very large ground-based telescopes. Uh, for example, uh, this dark energy survey is on the Blanco telescope in Chile. And I know that Mike Brown, for example, has his own custom search he's doing, getting new data from the Subaru eight meter telescope in Hawaii. So that's definitely a way that it could be detected. It might even be the way it's discovered. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Cosmic Stardust, how far away would it have to be to still be influenced by our star? So this thing's pretty far out there. Uh, is it going to be, is it going to get any heat, do you think? Or, I mean, what, I don't know what being influenced by our star would look like way out there, but we, you'd probably see it, see the sun. What do you think it's like out there? Oh, sure. It would, it would see the sun. I mean, I, if, you know, if it's at, say, 800 or 1,000 times the Earth's sun distance, I'm, we still have comets that are out at 10 times that distance. Um, and the, the dwarf planet uh, Sedna, which was discovered about a decade ago, um, orbits out to, you know, beyond where we think planet nine is. Um, so it would see a little, you know, the sun would be you know, a dim star. Um, it would receive a little bit of light. Um, it's, it's not a place to go sunbathing. <laughs> um, uh, you know, everything is going to be very, very cold, you know, 30 or 40 degrees above absolute zero. Um, but you would see reflected light from the sun, and the bigger that it is, the more reflected light you would see. All right. So um, I guess things like, does it have an atmosphere and stuff like that, folks? We're going to have to wait and find out. I mean, it's uh, we just got to find the thing first. Um, so, oh, I lost. Oh, it scrolled past me. I had another question. Um, all right. Well, let me uh, as I as I look for another question here. I want to I want to remind everybody you're watching the Astro Coffee Hangout. Uh, we are talking about the search for Planet Nine. We still haven't found it yet. Still being looked for. They're using the Wise and Neowise. Uh, I'm just going to say Neowise. That's what it is now. Uh, the Near Earth Object Wide Infrared Survey Explorer Telescope uh, in orbit around the Earth that is looking at the entire sky in the infrared. They're trying to find it with that. They're also trying to find it with a lot of other things. Uh, as well. I still haven't found it yet, but if it is out there, it is a big one. It's a it's a super Earth, uh, as we use an exoplanet terminology here. And um, they think it's there because it's moving around a bunch of trans Neptunian <laughs> objects, and it is uh, causing astronomers to go, wait a minute, there, what what could be causing this uh, strange behavior of these of these um, of these bodies? And so they're thinking it might be a planet out there. Um, okay, and I'm and there were some. I'm looking at your questions. If you got more, please do. We've got about ten more minutes, so we can get to your question. Condor Boss is asking: um, Is it a super? If it is a super Earth, it would have an ice surface. But how much would it have in terms of ferrosilicates? Well, I think that's really premature to answer a question like that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, we, we could we could make a stab at it. Really, <laughs> go for it, man. <laughs> um, well, I. It depends a lot. Its composition and whether or not it have an atmosphere would depend a lot on where it formed. So in the idea that it formed um, in the inner solar system, say where the other gas giants are, it might look a lot like Neptune, um, but just be a lot colder. Um, if it formed in situ, um, say out where it is, it would be a ball of ice. Uh, and then with a little bit of rock. Uh, but mostly ice, um, sort of like Pluto, uh, but a big Pluto. 
and maybe it would make an atmosphere and maybe it wouldn't, but um, those are sort of the extremes. Um, it's unlikely to be pure rock, um, like the Earth or Mars, say, because we think that those kinds of planets form inside the orbit of Jupiter. Okay, Achilles 308 is asking, can, could Planet 9 explain the gap between the Kuiper Belt and the Oort Cloud? Could it have cleared away a lot of stuff? Hmm. I think that might be a question for Scott or Ben. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, uh, Planet 9's influence in its uh, uh, area of the, the solar system would be significant, and it could... Uh, easily clear out its domain. In fact, that's one of the, the qualities that a, a planet must have, that it, it kind of rules all the orbits in its its vicinity. That uh, attribute was one of the reasons why um, Pluto was, was demoted from planethood status uh, to become uh, uh, a dwarf planet. Uh, the truncation of the Kuiper belt, uh, uh, meaning that there, there are objects in the Kuiper belt that um, that exist but are um, uh, predominantly found uh, uh, closer to Neptune than than a planet nine's domain um, would be consistent with planet nine being out there. It, it, I don't know how far in planet nine might um, rule its region of the neighborhood, and it that may not be uh, it, its its rule may not be sufficient to to cut off the Kuiper belt uh, where we see it, um, but it certainly will have an impact in its its own neighborhood. Okay. Um, could planet Adam is asking a good question on um, the Discord server. He's asking, could Planet Nine be hiding directly in front of a bright star? Remember I can take that. I would say absolutely yes. Um, that's one of the difficult realities we face when we're mining these uh, fifty trillion pixels of Wise data. Is that some of them are always behind, say, Myra or you know whatever the very brightest stars in the infrared sky are. And so when we quote limits that we get from our survey about, well, Planet Nine couldn't be this bright, otherwise we would have seen it. There are some uh, warnings that come with that, essentially about exactly this type of situation, which is if it happened to be sitting right in front of one of the brightest infrared stars on the sky, or if it happened to be sitting right in front of the galactic center, where there's lots and lots of background stars, then we unfortunately might miss it even if it's there. And it's, it's gonna be a challenge for any other survey as well to find it. If, we're unfortunate. Especially like if it's in the center of the galaxy, because it's going to take a while to move away from that, uh, to be able to, to be able to see it. Because every time we're looking at the center of the galaxy, it maybe has moved a little bit and not very, and still going to be swamped by the background noise. Uh, so it could be a while if that's where it is. So, um, I think it's important to, to realize that, that when, when astronomers are looking for planets like this, whether things that, that, um, they, they, they suspect might be out there based on other evidence that they're looking at of things that can be seen. You know, they are, uh, you really can't hide this evidence. This is evidence that, you know, you, anybody who can look at the data and, and get this, uh, get these plots and trajectories yourselves, uh, to see and, and to follow up. I mean, I think when, when, um, uh, uh Constantine and, and Mike first started talking about planet nine, they got a lot of questions or a lot of, uh, criticism about well it could be so many other things they were very careful i've had them on these hangouts they were very careful before they ever published a single paper to make really really sure before they said planet nine that that it could be that because uh they knew that it was going to be really looked at heavily by a lot of other astronomers and scrutinized and so far it's held up and 
the search goes on, and um, this is Neowise projected to end anytime soon? Is it going to be, uh, or is it just what are the plans? I suppose is a better question for Neowise. This the mission. I can take that. So when it was an- reactivated in late 2013, it was only supposed to keep going for three more years because they thought the data quality would deteriorate after that. And in fact, it's now been over four years and it's still going every 10 seconds, getting two more images of the sky as we speak. And so they keep on having a very close eye on the data because at some point they expect uh, the glow from the earth to start contaminating the data and making it of a much lower quality. And that would really be the limitation of when they say, all right, we've got to shut it off. But that hasn't happened yet. And it's quite possible that it could go at least through the end of this calendar year. So into wow. the of 2019. That's really good. Yeah. That's like great. I said at the, at the top of this hangout, I think this is one of the most important That's things NASA is doing. So it, 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 if you're going to turn it off, then replace it with something else because we need things looking for all of these uh, planetesimals and things flying around the galaxy. Um, here's a good question from Simon Far- uh, Farmer. Would the method used for f- imaging faint galaxies with dragonfly, like dragonfly, be applicable to finding super faint Kuiper Belt objects, or is it not infrared capable? The Dragonfly Telescope found these ultra-diffuse galaxies, which are a new galaxy classification that actually don't have any dark matter in them. And they know this because they looked at the motions of star clusters, globular clusters within those galaxies, and the motions of those star clusters were such that they would be in a galaxy that had no dark matter. So these ultra-diffuse galaxies were found by a ground-based telescope uh, called the Dragonfly, and then it was taken, I think, with uh, Keck and other uh, ground-based observatories took it from there. Um, So can that method be useful for finding these faint Kuiper belt objects. Does I can know? speak to that a little bit. Okay. So Dragonfly, I agree, is a super cool project that I've been following along with. The thing that it's designed to do really well is that even though it's actually not a big aperture, so it's you know something like Subaru that Mike Brown is already using has a much, much bigger mirror. Although actually I think Dragonfly is all lenses anyway. Um, but Dragonfly is really optimized to see faint things that are not point sources, so things that are diffuse and spread out on the sky, whereas a Kuiper Belt object or Planet 9 would be a point source. So I still think in that case, you win by having the biggest possible telescope, whether it's the Blanco telescope in Chile or Subaru in Hawaii. Uh, You really win by just having the biggest possible telescope, and Dragonfly currently isn't competitive. In right. that sense. Yeah, and uh, these things are already pretty faint, and you also want to look at it in the right wavelengths, which um, I'm not sure what Dragonfly uh, wavelength operates at. But um, uh, let's see. Um, uh, Condor Boss is commenting, and i got to give it to you, man. Uh, if it's in a 10,000-year orbit, it would have moved several arc minutes in the WISE data. So Correct. Yeah, I love these guys, man. I love the people that watch these Hangouts because they do the math. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so let's see. Um, okay. Well, I guess um, I we are out of questions. I'm not seeing any more uh, coming through. Um, I want to remind everybody that right after this hangout, I think it's at 
15 minutes past the hour, I think SpaceX is doing a launch uh, from from Cape Canaveral. So you guys might want to check that out. I don't know if it's been delayed. I haven't had a chance to check up on it. But they have a launch coming up right after this hangout. I would have gone uh, down there uh, uh, to watch this had it been any other day of the week. But uh, unfortunately, I couldn't do it today. So if you want to, watch the watch the. Um, uh, launch immediately after this hangout. Okay, so um, I guess that's it. I want to thank our uh, I want to thank our guest, Dr. Aaron Meissner from the University of California Berkeley, Dr. Ben Bromley from the University of Utah, and Dr. Scott Kenyon from the Smithsonian Astrophysics Observatory. These guys are looking for Planet Nine using the NEOWISE data and the WISE data before it uh, to try and find if this planet is out here. No one's found it yet, but they are still looking. You guys can get involved by going to backyardworlds.org and get involved, sign up, help people find Planet Nine, uh, and learn about how this stuff is done. This science is, is of, of finding um, objects in our solar system is one that now, because we're in the golden age of astronomy, you can get involved in. Um, so, uh, Carol, did you want to say anything as we go bye-bye? I, I'm really pleased to have this hangout. It's very interesting, and I think it's... Again, a testimony to reusing telescopes in very clever ways. And so this is this is starting to be a tradition and I really love it because it, it turns out, and I, I was really interested also in the Brown Dwarf Survey because I had looked at some of the, uh, on the um, Backyard Astronomy site and saw that there were lots of those being reported. The other thing is that if you get involved in it, you can also camp in on the chat there. There's a talk where people talk about what they've found and exchange ideas as well. So, you know, people should get get involved in these things and contribute to doing the research because right. it's a lot of data and it takes a lot of people to look at. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for hanging in there past the sound difficulties. I appreciate and apologize that uh, that happened. I'm glad you guys are hung in there, though, and, and watched it. You guys uh, had some great questions. So thank you all. And on behalf of our guests, I want to thank all of you guys for watching. And as always, keep looking keep up. Keep looking up. <laughs>